Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Nation, welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. This is episode 154, and we're recapping last week's Benfica Boavista match played last Monday night at the Stadio de Luz. We're going to talk about attendance today, too. We're going to talk about attendance in the Liga Portugal, and I'm probably going to rant some more about my opposition to the centralization of, of TV rights, the centralization of, of uh, Ticketgate. Um, sorry, of, of gate receipts, all of that because I've got I've uh, done some research and um, uh, again listening as as I have for a long time to to Juan Gonçalves of BTV on his his personal podcast, unaffiliated with the club Fever Pitch, and um, he continues to detail the the attendance numbers in the league, and I decided to look at it for myself because he tells you exactly where you can find it, and it's on the Liga Portugal's homepage but it's not easy to find i found you have to search around and you have to put in some some um keywords in the google search and it you and it's buried in there and you find some attendance numbers i'll talk about that today as well and um uh we'll hear from roger schmidt as we normally do um in most episodes on the podcast and uh, just go over this match uh really quickly and and look forward to saturday's match against Vizela by the time you hear this podcast that match probably have already kicked off or very soon thereafter or in all likelihood um if you're listening to this on Monday that is tends to be the the day of the week where where I get the highest uh downloads the highest listens highest plays is on Monday so if you're listening to this on Monday it's already passed but that's all right um 
uh, there'll be another episode covering uh, the Vizela match um, out very soon. So uh, as we get this show going again and we get everything rolling, uh, more content coming. Okay, they're going to come out more frequently. I'm going to try to to do one after each match because I think the show rolls the best that way and it keeps them shorter that way. Um, and, and the the matches and the information stays fresher in my mind that way as well. Um, also, coming soon, <laughs> before next weekend, before March 3rd, when they play again in the B- Liga BPE, will be a women's football update. And again, like I said at the end of Liga 3 English, if you haven't listened to that yet, go ahead. Uh, go back a day there on the podcast feed and check it out. Um, Things are really shaping up in the Liga Trish, and uh, it's a fun league to follow. But uh, why I mentioned that is because, as I said at the end of that at, of that episode, uh, shout out once again to the to the nine, especially to the nine uh, ladies from Sport Lisboa Benfica who represented the Portuguese national team this past week. Historic, historic qualification to the first for the first time to the FIFA Women's World Cup coming in 2023 coming this this July uh, Portugal will for the first time be there they are in the World Cup this is a monumental success and again shout out to Jessica Silva to Carol Costa to Anasaisa to Kika Nazaré to Andrea Norton to Ruth Costa uh, who who should be the starting goalkeeper and isn't, and the goal surrendered by Patricio Muraj just further proves my point that uh, this manager has something against Ruth Costa. But shout out to her, she's there. Lucia Alves, uh, yeah, the entire Katarina uh, Madu, the entire uh, squad from Mefica there in the national team, and the ones you know on the periphery that uh, are also in the pool. You know, names like Andrea Faria and and such. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, also, Chloe Lacasse gets a shout out this episode for scoring for Canada in the She Believes Cup. Uh, Canada beating Brazil earlier this week in a match that p- pit uh, Chloe against her Benfica teammates, uh, Nicole Raisla and Ana Vitoria. So uh, shout out to them. I'll talk about that more when I get to that episode. But just wanted to, to lay that out there to start this episode for everybody uh, with the good news. All right. Benfica rolling on here, picking up three more points. These were not easy points by any means. Um, it's it's it, it was a tough one. Uh, Boavista Boavista came in and 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 I think they gotta they gotta leave pretty proud with their performance in this match. Uh, once again, um, it's funny our rivals think that the referee helped us. I mean, the same exact play. Almost the same exact play that saw Alexander Ba sent off in the cup. You know, not very different happens in the penalty box. And the fact that the referee through the VAR, uh, you know, watches it, sees that correctly reverses his call and awards the penalty. Uh, it has got our rivals, you know, panties up in a bunch now saying that it's calling you and all that nonsense starting again when everyone saw with their own eyes that the video of Porto was in full effect at the Dragon last week. Uh, a penalty should have been called against Pep. He, it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. The fact that they even have the the gall to to even talk about referees when they have been carried year after year for forty years. It's just, I wish our club would just come out firing and put them in their place. But uh, unfortunately, we only talk about refs. 
when we lose. And uh, that's one thing that kind of I would change if I were an advisor to Rui Costa. I would, I would and analyze the referees every single match, good or bad, win or lose, give my opinions. Um, and know that uh, we are being consistent. And there's a lot of referee situations I hate talking about this. It's like it's like you can't follow Portuguese football without getting sucked into this. It's it's it's. I mean, and and they've made fools of themselves in Europe once again. Uh, whether it's Suarez Dias or it's João Pinheiro doing the uh, doing the the Juve match ten days ago now, or about a week ago now, um, missing a clear clear penalty, you know, and just absolutely making a mockery of Portuguese. Referees, you know, anyone who's ever refereed from Portugal is, is you know, being associated with these clowns. And uh, it's a never-ending uh, nightmare. But uh, I'm going to try to end it there as far as the referee is concerned. Um, this match, again, taking place at the Stadio de Luz, of course. Another healthy crowd, 56,000. 413, not as much as it should be. It should be 60 and above every match, in my opinion. There are people that these seats are paid for and they're not going to games. And that bothers me. I know it's Monday night, but listen, give your give your tickets to somebody, resell them. The club needs to do a better job of, of facilitating the transfer of tickets when someone can't go. I'm sorry. There's we have the healthiest attendance in the league, but that's not saying much. Um, just to give you an idea before I get into the lineups and before I get into all of, all of the ins and outs of this match, let's talk attendance for a minute since I just read off our attendance, uh, of 56,413, um, just slightly below our, I have it here. I think it's just slightly below our average or just slightly above, uh, it is, just uh, slightly above our average of our our in eleven home games we average fifty five thousand four hundred sixty two again not good enough in my book but much better than than most we have a we have a average occupation percentage of eighty six point five five for the size of our fan base that's not good enough of a percentage in my book I think we should be 90% or better. Maybe I'm asking too much, but um, I mean, that's we should be up around 60,000. That's that's just where I stand. Um, I hold us to a high regard. Um, that that's our that's where we stand right now. So here are the attendances for the other matches this week in Liga Portugal in the first division. Liga Portugal B win. All right, we said the 56 413 for our match. Porto Rio Ave at the Ladrão, uh, 40,629, 3,000 below their average, okay, um, for Porto. And then, then it goes off a cliff. The next highest, <laughs> I, only, I only put this in numerical order for the top three attendances. The next highest was Braga hosting Oroca and another whopping 13,407. Went to see Braga at the Pedreira at the quarry. Um, and again, I mean, the, the these attendance numbers now, if I if you thought that was going off a cliff, um, 
th this gets really, really uh, embarrassing after this. Okay, so after the 13,000 plus in Braga, the next highest attendance last week, round 21 of the Liga Portugal B win, is in Trajos Montes. It is Chaves. They are hosting Sporting. That is um, probably why there was this much, but they had 4,981. Once again, 4,981 people. And when you look at that, Shavs right now averages 3,555 per match. So they got almost a 1,500 person increase. Their average for the season is 42.3% of their stadium being filled. I mean, what is what is going on? This, this, is, this is embarrassing. It gets worse. That's one of the healthier numbers in the league. All right, Gil Vicente hosting Vizela. Gil Vicente get 3,212 out to their stadium. A little bit down from their average of 3,879. That's a per-match average. There's larger crowds. I mean, the, these these are small, small crowds. This is this is just so poor. When is the league gonna address this? Between the 9 p.m. kickoff times during the week, and they want to sell this product on television with these empty stadiums, and of course they want Benfica to fund it. They want Benfica subscribers to fund it. It gets better, okay? It gets better. <laughs> Looking down the list, okay, Istriel hosting Pasush in what was Nelson Verissimo's final match in charge. Our former interim manager sacked by Istriel. He's going to be replaced by Ricardo Suarez, or he already has been. 2,052 people. 2,052 people. I played in front of bigger crowds than this playing in high school. And I come from a small town. With I mean, I this is this is just incredibly poor and embarrassing. Isturil's average for the season, are you ready for this? Actually, it's a little bit higher than that. Their average is 25.83, but again, that average is skewed because both Benfica and Porto have already visited Istoril this season. Still one of the healthier percentages in the league from Istoril at an average of 50% of the stadium being sold. But again, you take out those two matches against the big teams who bring fans, who you don't let wear their own gear, who you want to pretend are your fans. That average goes way down, and that percentage goes way down. Wouldn't even want to see what these numbers are without the visits from Befica. Porto and Sporting, but especially from Befica. Santa Clara, Famalicão. Listen, I love my Azorians. I love who's a Surge. I love, you know, listen, my mother's from the islands. But my goodness, the only club that has ever been in the first division for these islands. 
and you get 1,618 fans out for a match against Famalicão. 1,618 declining week after week. What is going on at Santa Clara? Where are the people? Why is nobody going to these matches? There's a couple of, of, of reasons, but that doesn't justify 1,618 for the only first top flight team on your island, first of all, and in that region. Their average for the season is, is 2,870, 2,870, 28% attendance on average for Santa Clara, for Bravos Asturianos. They used to pack the house. I I think the clubs are just as responsible as the league, by the way. Um, I think they do a terrible job marketing these matches. Um, I don't know if there's price gouging going on. I can't imagine they're charging anything with these kinds of attendances. Um, it gets There's still one lower, and that's in Algarve. Portimonense hosting Maritimo in front of 1,572 fans. I talked on Liga 3 in English about attendance in the Liga 3 in the third division. Caldas versus Bolognese last Sunday, 4,048 people for that third division match. That would put it fifth in total for last week. Fifth. Not to get into the stadium issues. That Casapia's in because they're not in their stadium in the Pinamanique stadium for whatever reason. I guess it's not big enough. At the Jamur, they welcomed 1,818. 5% of Jamur's capacity. And that's mostly because they were visited by Vitoria uh, Sport Club, Vitoria Guimarães. Uh, and that's the only reason it's that high, is because a team brought. Probably most of those 1,818 fans. A historic club like Casapia, an absolutely low, low turnout. 11 matches at the Jamur. Get them back in their stadium. If you're drawing 1,000 people, you don't need a stadium bigger than, than 3,000 or whatever theirs holds. They averaged 3,894 for the season, but again, they've been visited by they've been visited by Benfica in Leiria, remember, which skews that number completely because you had 21,000 in Leiria for that one. They've been visited by Porto as well. I think they had seven or 8,000 that day. Again, puts that average way higher than it really is in reality. And uh, again, what is is going on in the in the liga are they that do they not know how to run a league clearly not do they not know how to sell a product clearly not and you want to centralize receipt gates and spread them out absolutely not the club needs to stand firm here they need to they need to put up a fight this cannot this is robbery to be giving these clubs money from our gates and money from our TV viewership because guess what you can blame TV all you want for these these attendances but nobody's watching Istorio versus Passos Ferreira unless you are from those if you're a fan of those two teams 
You know why? Because they play at odd times or they play at the same time as an English Premier League match or a Spanish La Liga match, a Serie A match, whatever. There's too many options. The league needs to, to figure out a much better way to schedule. But again, we talk about this, and, and I'm going way off off topic here. I haven't even gotten to this match. Um, I'm going way off topic, but this league is an absolute disaster. It's an absolute disaster. It's a marketing nightmare. And uh, let's let's go back to what we keep talking about. When they don't even schedule these matches, you don't even know what time or date matches two or three rounds in the future are going to be played. I've got tickets to Major League Soccer matches taking place in August already. August 20th, I'll be in Ohio for Cincinnati versus Columbus. August 20th, 7.30 p.m. in Columbus. I know what time. I know what time the game kicks off. I know what day. I can book a room. I can be there. July 8th, Charlotte FC hosting Cincinnati FC. I'll be there in North Carolina. 13, 14 hours away, 14-hour drive, but I know they are kicking off at 7.30 p.m. on Saturday, July 8th. The entire season is scheduled, and I'm not expecting that from the Liga Portugal, but honestly, can you, can you schedule these things a few months in advance? At least a few weeks? At least have tentative dates? Either or, I know they like to move matches around due to European competition. Fine, have have one date and a, and a backup date. This is another reason people don't go to matches. By the you got to get in line to buy a ticket three days before the match. And I'm not talking about Benfica now, but I'm sure Istoril is not selling tickets on on their website. I'm sure. That um, I don't know. Maybe there is a ticket a ticketing app that you can go on in Portugal and buy tickets. Um, I don't know. They're probably still printing out paper tickets in the Liga Portugal. When you go to a match in Major League Soccer, okay, for all you want to 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 talk about that league, and you can call the style of play or the level of play whatever you want, but you don't even they you don't even get a paper ticket. You you download the ticket on your phone. You put the barcode up. You don't hand it to anybody. You put it under the scanner, and it lets you in the turnstile. You're in the in the stadium. You go on a ticket agency. Yeah, I know we we overpay for tickets here because we pay t- a ton of extra fees. But you go on on. It tells you what time the game is. <laughs> it tells you the day. You click purchase, and you buy it, and you have it. It's in your Google wallet. I'm not asking for that from Portugal, but a little consistency. These attendance numbers are downright embarrassing. And I know the television numbers aren't much better. Again, people are not going to Sport TV to watch Gil Vicente versus Vizela. Sorry, unless those are your local clubs. Or unless it has a direct impact on your team's place in the table, for example. I'm going to continue to monitor just for fun. I'm going to keep watching these attendance numbers for the rest of the season. Um, well, maybe not for the rest of the season, but every couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, it's it's um, this is, and you know what? The league is in real danger because when you look at the average attendance for the season in order, you know what? Two teams are in the top eight, eighth best attendance this season. Okay, 
Eighth best. Oh, that you're looking at Pasuchita, their last home match two weeks ago. Eight thousand sixty fans. You look at Maritimu. Maritimu averaging seven thousand seven hundred and ninety-two fans, averaging selling. 73.75% of their stadium. These are the two clubs in the relegation places right now. These are the two clubs the league is in danger of losing. What's that going to do to the what's that going to do to the attendance next season? Well, you have clubs like Portimonense in this league who are little more than a B team for for a certain club up north. And they average 1,774 fans per match, 36% of their little stadium. Their total tickets for this season, their total attendance for this season, 19,517. 11 matches, they sell as many tickets as Benfica would sell for a Tasa de Liga match. And actually, Benfica would sell twice that. Did sell twice that for their one home toss of the Liga match this season. Okay, that's it on the attendance rant. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break to, to, to cool down here. And we'll get right into the match right after this. This is Mr. Benfica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinu. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustinu. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And follow the show on Twitter as well at Benfica Mr. Follow me also on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. We'll be right back.
And welcome back to Mr. Bayfica episode 154. Let's get into the match now. Now that I've had a chance to uh, come back down, taking Kalmont, if you will. <laughs> and here I am now. All right, it's Benfica hosting Bovista at the Stadio de Luz, as we said. Bovista, of course, managed by former Benfica player Petit, uh, Benfica captain at one time. Um, very important piece in that 20, 2000. 2005 championship team um, also was champion with that historic Boavista club that won the title in 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, so Petit definitely has his name in the history of Portuguese football, especially on the club side. It's also an international. Here is his team that he puts out in the 4 2 3 1. Uh, goalkeeper Bracali, this guy has been a nuisance for us for years, seems to always have. Uh, his his best uh, matches against Benfica. The right back on the day is Pedro Malheiro. The center back pairing of Sasso and the American Reggie Cannon, who uh, I was asked by by some of you um, about him because he's an American. He he I've never seen him play center back before. I have not watched Boavista much this season. Um, in fact, the only two games I've seen of Boavista were the two against us. He's normally a right back. Um, he's just on the, you know, he is he is a national team pool player. Uh, he didn't make the team for the World Cup. Uh, the, the manager decided to go with two other right backs in front of him, one of them being Serginho Dest of, of AC Milan, uh, or, or of Barcelona now on loan at AC Milan. But uh, I've never seen him play center back before and he was was not bad in this match as a center back um so that that's interesting I, i'm gonna try to remember to keep some tabs on him um for the next couple of weeks see if he if this is a if this was something that was done out of necessity in an emergency in this match or if this is where he's playing right now because this is is very interesting and the left back is onye maichi um <laughs> uh full name is soporu chuwu Oyinachi, the Nigerian left back. I apologize right away for butchering that name. I'm sure I butchered it. The double pivot in midfield, Ibrahima and Makuo, Makota, Makuta, excuse me, uh, are the double pivot in midfield behind three attacking midfielders. On the right side, it's another guy that's always a thorn in our side. Uh, it's Salvador Agra. Again, one of the better players outside of the the big clubs, and uh, he's been doing it for a long time now in the league. And we even signed him once upon a time, and uh, loaned him out several times. But uh, he he has he has had very good seasons in in the Portuguese league. He's had a lot of success outside of the big the big four. Um, Bruno Lorenzo is the central midfielder or the number ten in this setup, and to his left is Ricardo Mangas. And they're playing behind the striker, Yasupa Niji, the Gambian international. And uh, he's a very on-form striker at the moment. Roger Schmitz, Benfica. Nothing changed. Nothing um, out of the ordinary in this one. Uh, at least not too much so. Um, we see what we've been seeing, except Gilberto is in for Ba. Odie, of course, is the goalkeeper. I skipped over him. Uh Gilberto in for Ba, the suspended Ba. Otamendi and Antonio Silva, the center backs. Grimaldo, the left back, double pivot in midfield. Florentino Luiz and Chiquinho um, behind three attacking midfielders. There's Romario, 
Rafa and uh, Frederick Auschnitz. And the striker is who returns to the score sheet is Gonzalo Ramos. All right, so this game starts out and Benfica, uh, it, start, it's, it starts um, decently enough for Benfica, okay? Uh, I wasn't too too worried about this match the way it was starting. I thought that uh, it was going to be another home match, another one where we were going to knock the ball around against another opponent that's going to be well-organized, sit in deep, cut off passing lanes, you know. And really, uh, Boavista had very little of the ball in this match. Uh, I'll pull up the stats to start with. 29% of the ball is all Boavista saw. Uh, an XG of point. Two seven. Really, their goal came from nowhere, but um, only five total shots to Benfica's eighteen shots in their three point six seven xg, uh, which is expected goals. If if um, anyone's unfamiliar with that term, um, Benfica with a pass success rate of eighty six percent. It was it was a normal home Benfica match that we've seen now time after time this season. Except it's the thing that always worries me when the ball does not go in the goal and we don't get that lead early, that tempo is not set. The opponent starts to gain confidence. Totally what happened here in this one. Um, Bovista getting confidence as the match went on, getting, uh, you know, getting comfortable and getting organized, I think is the, the biggest thing. They got organized and it was, it was not an easy match for Benfica to find, the back of the net, they did find opportunities. The opportunities started to come their way um, as the first half went on. And we saw Gonzalo Ramos with a few opportunities um, from the header. And again, it was just the gold never came. And that always puts Benfica, um, that always makes it a little harder for Benfica when, when they don't get the goal, obviously, and for anybody. But uh, especially for this team, Against the type of opponents we go up against, against the type of methodologies we go up against, the longer a team keeps it nil-nil, the, the more animated, the more confident, the more belief they get, and the harder our job gets at trying to, to break the deadlock and eventually take control of the match, um, at least on the score sheet. But... Benfica in all kinds of control. I mean, not really under any danger, all but one instance in this match. You know, really just one instance in this match was Benfica in any kind of actual danger. You look at it, and goal point put up in the 20th minute. They put muito mais Benfica nos primeiros minutos, much more Benfica in the first minutes. And they're showing just all the completed passes everywhere for Benfica. They're showing... Uh, how pinned down Bovista is on their on their uh, defensive end, and at the twenty minute mark, it says the checkered side still yet to get to Benfica's uh, penalty area, and you move down down the the list, and you start to see some of the big saves from Bracali. They tweet out in the forty fifth minute a they tweet out. You know, Bracali with a huge save on a header from Gonzalo Ramos. This was in the 45th minute. And João Mario sets sets it up for Gilberto, who crosses it. And it looks like it looks like Gonzalo's gonna score. 
and it's saved by Bracali on the goal line, and then he can't put the rebound away as a defender clears it off the goal line. Two opportunities there for Gonzalo Ramos to to get on the score sheet. I was interested in the in the starting eleven, um, seeing the form we'd seen from Rafa since returning from the injury, not at his best. I, a little surprised that we didn't see Gonzalo Gedge there. We've seen less of him than I would like in the last couple of matches. Um, of course, you know, the manager knows what he's doing, and I think he's trying to work Rafa back into this team because Rafa is so important in this in this team and to what this team does. They're so much better when he is on his game. But I really thought that uh, this match may have called for a Gonzalo Guedes start. Uh, a lot of people, again, this is something I'm getting uh, really, it's just, just turning blue in the face at trying to explain this. As everyone on Twitter, every all the, the Twitter uh, Guardiola's, as I call them, wanted wanted Shikinu out of the out of the lineup and Gonzalo Gedjen. They don't play anything remotely resembling the same position. They don't do anything resembling the same job. That's not the change that would have been made. Everybody wants Auschnitz to play there, and you know, eventually Roger does make that substitution. But I understand why he didn't because you had a very informed Shikinu. Um, coming into this match and doing the little things that people don't realize that are important and really wish that the fan base would just would just ease off of this player he is doing his job he's not pretending to be Enzo as much as some fans uh, enjoy you know calling him Shikenzo um, he's not trying to be that he's not pretending to be that he's being Shikinu but he's he is doing his job playing in a position that he is comfortable in in a job that he knows what to do he 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 Follows the manager's commands. That's why he's the one that's playing. Um, he is a more sturdy, more um, more balancing midfielder than uh, Auschwitz would be in that position. That's why Rogers got Auschwitz playing wide right now because Auschwitz is more of a box to box type of player and, and much more of a going forward kind of player. And he does not want to to have a player like that. Uh, be be in a more positional or a more fixed positional uh spot on the on the pitch where Shikinu, you know he he holds that position down. There's no reason to hold Auschnitz back by playing him centrally in a double pivot. Um, it's not his best position to play wide. He is a better inside midfielder, but the manager's he's playing chess with trying to put all the pieces on the board and. Again, um, Florentino's in there too. You can debate whether a double pivot's even appropriate in a match like this, but he wasn't sure what type of uh, of setup Petit was going to put out there for Bovista. And looking at the goal point ratings for the first half, they posted it at halftime, and Florentino is the highest rated player at that moment, 6.2. The other three top players are Bovista players. So Bovista playing above themselves in the first half. And even then, very lucky not to be behind Benfica at halftime. Okay. Um, Roger does make the switch, like I said. And in the second half, it comes. It comes at halftime. Yeah, at halftime, we see Neres come on for uh, for Florentino, I believe was the change. Um, yes, Neres replaces Florentino at 
at halftime. And this is why, as I correct what I miss said a minute ago, it's not Chiquinho that comes off, it's Florentino. And there's an easy explanation for that, and that is this match has no use for a true holding mid, a number six. As well as Florentino was playing, the manager recognizes that he needs different characteristics on the pitch in this match. The difficulty in breaking down the Boavista team, he knows it's going to get more difficult as the half goes on. The longer that Benfica go without a goal, the the more difficult it's going to get. But, um, man, the first half MVP was Florentino. He had, a like I said, a 6.2 goal rating, but he had a 92% pass efficiency, and he had the most actions with the ball okay he had 63 actions with the ball okay he won three aerial duels and he won four steals okay that is is a pretty good performance from a it's a very good performance from a holding midfielder in the first half where we had the most of the of the football we had the ball and he still managed to get all of these these uh you know, to, to hit all of these points, all of these um, stats that he picks up here in the first half. He he is substituted. Nedish comes on. Understandable. Changes the whole look uh, of Benfica. Moves Auschwitz center. And it's Auschwitz and Chiquinho now playing through the center. Now there's no real holding mid. And it's a more true double pivot in a sense that both guys can go in both directions. Chiquinho better at the staying home uh, side of the the double pivot while Auschwitz is much better at the going forward box to box side of of the double pivot but when one goes the other stays vice versa Nedge goes out on the right and Nedge really comes into this match and it's probably his first good match in a while I think he actually really made a uh he made a, an impact in this one in the second half, I think um, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was coming. The goal was coming, but now Boavista had more to deal with. We'll, we'll uh, pick up some of the events here in the second half. And again, I thought we were going to see Gedge sooner. I just, I thought he was on a form. He was finishing, he was scoring goals for us. And suddenly his role's been reduced a little bit. But again, the manager knows clearly knows what he's doing at this point in the match. Um, we get an opportunity right off the bat as Auschwitz gets a shot in the 46th minute that he misses from outside the box that he was set up by Joel Mario. Um Again, the one point about what I think Roger's trying to do. Okay, and if, if for team for people who watch more European football, maybe um, if you're familiar with where. Roger Schmidt has come from. He he worked for RB RB uh sorry Red Bull Salzburg not RB Leipzig Red Bull Salzburg and he is very much playing Red Bull football with Benfica a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is is Red Bull is a very um, center channel dominant style of play. They the 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 wings the wing play is expected to be done by the wing backs. Okay. He, they in in the Red Bull system, the wing backs do most of the flank. Okay, um, we saw in the last match. Uh, no, we saw it in this match. Excuse me, uh, where he also adjusts that with bringing Nedge in. But the reason he starts 
with Auschwitz on the right, Joel Mario on the left is because his outside mids are really outside center mids. Okay. They're really outside center mids. They don't play in the right and left channel. They play in the right center and left center channel mostly. And they come in uh, and they find the, the tight spaces inside while leaving the flank work to the backs. The issue that happened here was that that turned out to be asking too much of Gilberto. He had, I heard a lot of, um, the guys at Benfica Independent in their post game show, uh, I say a lot of the guys. The the it was Ron Nunu, I believe, that said it. But I also read it on Twitter as well, and I think I got into a conversation with a couple of different Benfica accounts um, about this. And and it's a good observation was that Gilberto had a match in which never has a player played so poorly and been so productive as a sense. It was his best game and his worst game at the same time because. He was incredibly productive, but he played. He was off. He did not play well. They're, they're, they're two different things. And what happened is I think that being asked, my, this isn't just my thought. This is, I, I've heard this, you know, being, this is a view that's shared by, by a number of people that it was too tall of an order to ask Gilberto to do that whole right flank. And what, Roger does here with this substitution is he tweaks it and we get away from the Red Bull style a little bit. And Benfica, when they're playing in a high press, they're playing Red Bull football. Okay. They're playing the type of of football you see with Salzburg and with Leipzig to, to be precise. And you also see when their managers move on, they take it with them. Okay. And Roger's one of the many that have come through that system. And have implemented that and taken it with them. He did the same thing at PSV. He played very, this was the game he played at PSV. Okay. And what he did here is he he changed that a little bit because it wasn't working. And he brings on David Nesh, the true winger. Okay. And puts him on the right. And now what happened mostly in the second half, that right wing channel, the widest of the right channel, it was, it was David Nesh out there. Gilberto filled into that right center channel. And from that right center channel, Gilberto gets a goal and an assist in this one in a match where he was not good. I mean, he was not good, but it doesn't matter because the end product was there. And in the end, you got the goals. But this was this was the change that it looks to me into some others that he was making here. And I they actually... The Athletic had a really good podcast this week on the Athletic Football Podcast. And they broke down exactly this, and that's what set the light bulb off to me. This is what Benfica's doing. They broke down the Red Bull model of play, the its strengths and its weaknesses, and one of the weaknesses in it is that its coaches become married to that. That's why in the Premier League, Jesse Marsh was sacked at Leeds. He could not break away from that Red Bull um, system of play, that ideology or methodology that he been in his entire coaching career from New York to, to Salzburg to Leipzig. You know, through the whole Red Bull pyramid, um, he he was implementing this, and then when he gets to Leeds United, he couldn't adjust. He couldn't when it didn't work. He couldn't he couldn't make the adjustments here. Our manager makes the adjustments, and it's a good adjustment. And now you got Frederick running up and down the center channel versus being in the in the right center channel. So it just changes where the run starts from. 
they're still finding space and the pieces are still very interchanging in the attack. 53rd minute and Nerj gets an opportunity on his uh, lethal left foot, at times lethal left foot, uh, from the center of the box. Again, starting wide, he comes inside. He gets that that left-footed shot. He was set up by Rafa. Him and Rafa do a lot of, of zigzagging when they're both on the pitch. I'm still waiting to see the day when we get Rafa, Gedge, and Nerj all on the pitch at the same time behind Gonzalo Ramos. And um, you put Joao Mario in, in, the, in, the central, uh, in the center of the field, maybe with a, a Auschwitz or... or, or if the ma- if the match allows it, or a Florentino, if the match calls for that, I'm waiting to see what that looks like. I think that's a very exciting uh, trio, or maybe the three players are all just too similar, and I'll try to do the same thing, and it doesn't work. So uh, we get another opportunity, and it is it's in the 53rd minute off a corner, but Bracali wins a free kick. Uh, a foul is called on Otamendi as he wins the ball in the area. Um, danger averted, but again, two minutes later, it's another save for Bracali. This time it's Rafa's header from short range, saved after Grimaldo sends in a nice, beautiful cross. Rafa gets his head to it, but Bracali is there again. However, the ensuing rebound falls to Gilberto Carlos. Lava you, Gilberto. Lava you, Gilberto. He scores and opens the, the relief for the entire study of the Luge at this point. Um, 1-0 to Benfica in the 55th minute. Gilberto with the goal. And an absolute, like they say, um, an absolute just, uh, I forget the word they use in Portuguese right now. And they they just, complete uh, complete relief, just a sigh of relief goes out over the stadium. The supporters cheer. And, you know, it feels like, you know, all right, Smooth sailing from here. We get a substitution after that goal. Petit sends on Kinji Gore and replaces Salvador Agra. And two minutes later, just like that, the lead that we worked so hard and persisted for so long to pick up is completely gone. The substitute Kinji Gore gets free down the left and he fires in across, finds the striker Yashufa Nije, and the Gambian scores what uh, Nino Torres on Goal TV says was his fifth straight goal, something like that, or he's the fifth straight goal he scored for, for fifth straight match he scored in, something along those lines. And um, just like that, our lead is gone. But again, we've seen this team in these kinds of situations. This is a different version of a, of a new, of an old situation where we, things don't go our way. We're not in the lead anymore, and we got to find another goal. There's something about this team up to this point this season where the confidence is just there when these things happen. Um, the only time it didn't happen and we didn't get that goal back was the 3-0 defeat at Braga. That was the night where nothing went right. But every other time we fall behind or the team pulls level, we, we respond. Whether we get a goal or not is a different, you know, a whole different story. But the team responds. In the Sporting match, we fell behind twice. We responded. We couldn't get the winner, but we responded to get at least, you know, to to avoid defeat. So Benfica starts going at it again, and they start pushing forward, looking for for goals. Um, 
getting corner kicks, getting set pieces. Again, facing a team that's that's very hard to to get goals against, and a goalkeeper that on this day was not was not going to to let it go easy. Seventieth minute, we bring up the play I talked about at the top of the pod, the penalty. What would eventually be ruled a penalty via VAR. All right, Rafa's down. That's what gets the match stopped. Originally, the the referee did not point for a penalty. Um, just the play earlier, Rafa had kicked to the ground when he was in on goal. Just him and Bracali, and when he went to shoot, he kicked the ground and fell. Um, it looked like the referee thought this was another situation where he went down on his own. He's down injured. That prompts a VAR check. Referee goes to the monitor, and I couldn't believe that that watching this on goal TV, I couldn't believe that Nino didn't think that this was a penalty because this was clear. The defender's foot comes down. Vincent Sasso's foot comes down right on the foot of Rafa Silva. It is clear as day. What more do you need to call a penalty? Again, again. You know, Alexander Ba is sent off for this. Yes, he gets he gets uh, PZ higher on the leg, but he he's actually trying to keep his foot. He gets him high because he's trying to prevent from stepping on the player. Later that match, uh, we saw Auschwitz get stepped on in a much more dangerous, in my opinion, after watching it as many times as I have now, a much more dangerous position getting it stepped on on the inside of his ankle is a much more dangerous stamping here again Sasso comes down on Rafa's foot the reason Rafa can't get the shot off is because of that and then he tries to pass it which is why the referee probably didn't call the foul but the reason he didn't get a shot off and instead had to poke the ball away was because he was stepped on he lost his balance again there I don't know how anyone can doubt this unless unless you're a Portista. I don't know how you can doubt that this or a Bovisteru in this case. Um, but I think anyone honest enough that looks at it, yeah, it's in slow motion. And I know people are tired of, of Befica scoring penalty goals. They're not used to it. I get it. But when you have the ball this much and the attacking third this much and you're around the penalty area this much, you're going to get penalties. And of at least on this one, the VAR got the decision right. João Mario steps up. Now, I was worried about this one. I was watching this with my son, and I said to him, I said, I, I hope if I were him, I'd be going straight up the middle on this one because Bracali has a knack for saving penalties. João Mario has had made 10, I believe, this season up to this point. 10 consecutive. And remember, when you get this many penalties, and Benfica's not used to that. I get it. Uh, and we're not used to seeing Benfica get this many penalties. When the same guy takes them all, each time he steps up, he's that much more likely to be figured out, to miss, to be unlucky, to have the goalie save it, have the goalie guess right. I don't know how many in a row João Mario had gone to his left, to the keeper's right, and scored. We saw in the Champions League how close he came. Um, he, he, he at least went high on that one. But you could see that the goalies now know where he likes to shoot it. He likes to shoot it to his left, the keeper's right. He decides to go left. Now, I'm, the psycho I love the psychology battle of a penalty kick, by the way. Okay, 
I'm watching this and thinking out loud. And of course, my seven-year-old is listening to this because I'm trying to teach him everything I can about this game. And I said, now, the goalie's going to do one of two things, I said. He's going to either go where Joel Mario likes to go or say this. He's going to gamble on that. This is the time that he's going to go to the other side. He's going to go to the keeper's left. What I was most certain, 99% certain, Bracali was not going to do was stay in the middle. I was screaming for Joel Mario to go straight up the middle on this one. He goes to the keeper's right, or sorry, to the keeper's left, to his right, the opposite of what he normally does. And Bracali either reads it or guesses correctly. It's not that well placed because it's not where he likes to put it. And that's something about taking penalties as well. You a lot of times don't place it as well when you don't go to your quote-unquote favorite spot. And he saves the penalty with 18 minutes left in the 90, 72nd minute. Bracali saves it, and I, 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 and I, you know, you start to think, oh, well, this is it. Porto's now going to be three points behind us. You know, they're going to shorten this lead, and before you know it, especially when we already knew the way they had won their match. Still in the 72nd minute, Rafa has a shot from close range, left-footed, but it's saved again by Bracali. Moving forward, we're getting towards the, the end of the match here. Uh, João Mario commits a foul. He's booked, and we get a substitution in the 74th. That's it for Rafa. And I think what's happening with Rafa, and I think the medical team is clearing him for a certain amount of minutes per match. So, and I think that's why he started. Um, that has, for me, has to be the the s motivation for starting him, okay, so that he could play more minutes. Knowing that at whatever point he can't go anymore, you have a very strong substitute in Gonzalo Gedge. Finally, it happens here with a quarter of an hour to go. Uh, he comes on. And Befica, again, continuing to, 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 in, to, Pursue the winning goal, continuing to look for it. Uh, there is an opportunity for for Boavista in the 77th. Pedro Malledo, right for the shot from outside the box. And it goes out for a corner, but then danger is averted. Substitution by Boavista in the 78th. On comes Ilya Vukocic for Bruno Lorenzo. A big, stronger player coming in uh, to replace a more creative player. Petit trying to uh, hedge his bets here on on taking the the point at this point. He's 10 minutes from, from securing a point at the Luge. And we continue forward. And in the 81st, it's Romario with an opportunity. Gonzalo Gedge picks him out with the pass. It's a right-footed shot from outside the box, but it's blocked once again. However, Benfica continue to work the ball. They continue to work it, and now uh, it... It gets to Gilberto on the right. Gilberto plays it in to Gonzalo Ramos, looking like he's going to shoot it first time on his right foot and in an absolute brilliant cutback. Uh, uh, he fakes the shot, feigns it, cuts it back onto his less uh, comfortable left foot. The defender slides right by, and then with the futsal toe poke, I love these goals because had he wound up and shot lefty, guess what? It would have been blocked. He didn't have time for a proper shot. The only thing there was time for from that range was the toe ball, the <laughs> the futsal shot, if you will, and he he hits it perfectly with his 
with his uh, with his right toes and his right foot, the toes on his right foot. And what that also does is it makes the trajectory of the ball unpredictable and harder to read. Bracali can't re- react quick enough because of the way it was shot. This this is not a lack of skill. This is a very skilled shot to to effectively pull off a a toe poke like this, a futsal shot. You need to do it right. You have to get the ball in the right spot so that it it gets the trajectory it needs. It picks out the far post. Benfica had been hooking right footed shots all match. We've seen it all match. Aushin has had one. Uh, Rafa had one. Hamush had a few with the right foot that they all put their laces into it and hooked them all wide left. This time with the toe, it doesn't hook. It goes like an arrow straight into the into the corner. Benfica take the lead eight minutes from full time and the stadium explodes. I exploded in my living room. I was fired up. Um, the Again, another air of relief, just a sigh. That we're in the lead again, and you had to know that now we can't let it slip. And the league's top scorer, Gonzalo Ramush, with his patented uh, pistols celebration. And it is two to one. The entire bench clears. Everybody's celebrating. And things look better as um, it's just uh, a better feel. Gilberto goes down in the 84th, two minutes later. That's it for him. He's He picks up a knock. And on comes Lucas Verissimo as now we go to a back, we go to a real back four, if you will, or back three, uh, with three central defenders on the pitch to hold on to this result. But um, another substitution made at the same time. On comes the Croatian Petar Musa playing against his former club. The goal scorer, Gonzalo Ramuz, is off, gets an ovation, and Bovisha makes a substitution of their own or a double substitution of their own. On comes Luis Santos and Martin Tavares. Off come Ricardo Mangas and Ibrahima Camara. And it continues to be Benfica in control here, though never in doubt. I loved how they were just calm. Yes, Bovisha had scored before, but that was the only opportunity they really had all match. And the win would be solidified here in the 90th plus two. João Mario with an exquisite in-swinging cross right onto the head of the substitute Petar Musa. And he scores, does not celebrate against his former club, shows a little respect to his former club. And with that, Benfica will take all three points. The referee, a little bit later, it, it ends up going 90 plus seven, but then the referee uh, will blow his whistle for full time just after João Neves, or as my son calls him, Johnny Snows, comes on for Chiquinho. And uh, again, there's been talk about the, the there's some division within the fan base about João Neves' playing time that he's being disrespected by only getting stoppage time minutes and then everyone remembering. I wish I was a teenager being disrespected like that and getting to play in the Stadio de Luz, in a full Stadio de Luz for a few minutes. But um, this was, again, remember that players also get match bonuses when they get on. People forget that. You know, especially someone low in the totem pole like Jerome Neves, a youth player, when he gets on, that's a paycheck. Okay, that, that that's that's a 
that is a prize for a good week in training when you get on in the 90th minute. That means you did enough that the manager is going to put you on. Okay, he's going to make sure to make a point to get you on. Okay, this is a player on the ascendancy, and he's being managed well here by by Roger Schmidt. Match ends three to one to Benfica. Let's bring up now the goal point ratings, and I'll go through a few of the other analytics before uh, we wrap up this episode and go through some of the other results in the league um, and get ready for. Round 22 against Vizela. So the goal point ratings, starting with Boavista, they get a team rating of 5.12 uh, with, an, as we said, an XG of 0.3. I think I said it was 0.27 earlier on goal point. They round it up to the next 10th, and it's 0.3. No surprise that their MVP is Bracali. And uh, in goal, mini save 6.9 for him. Mayedo is 5.3. Cannon 5.1. Sasso 4.8. Uh, Bruno is 4.4. Then in midfield, Mungaj 4.4. Lorenzo 4.4. Ibrahima 4.7. Makuta 5.2. Agra 4.9. And the striker, Nijay. Or Yashufa, I think is what he wears on the back of his shirt, 5.7 with a goal. Uh, for their substitutes, Gore gets a 5.3 and Vukotic a 4.8. Benfica, Vlakodimos gets a 5.2. There's some people blaming him on that goal. I think that goal comes very, very quickly. The ball is whipped in and quickly redirected. He, I don't think he... Maybe I'm too easy on him. I don't know. But... Um, that's a very difficult shot to save uh, as he's moving across his line, no less. Um, Gilberto ends up the man of the match on goal point with a 7.6. Again, analytics are something because um, with a goal and an assist, you're going to have a good rating. There's there's no way around that. And uh, he he did, you know, quite well to, and again, um, very few mistakes by Gilberto in this one, a, a good heat map, you know, as I scroll down and look at his heat map, you know, he got forward a lot, but it is funny sometimes how these algorithms get these, get these, uh, ratings because he didn't do much statistically outside of that goal and an assist, whereas João Mario had an assist, but of course his rating would be affected by the missed penalty. But anyway, the rest of the back line, Antonio Silva, 6.1, Otamendi, 5.6, Grimaldo, 5.9, Auschwitz 6.0, and he was not as good in the first half. This is all in the second half that he played well. Uh, he he was having a day where he was missing passes, where he was where he was um, making just mental lapses, totally out of character. He recovered well in the second half and ended up having a good game. Shikinu again, 6.3, good rating for him. Okay, and again, he's doing all of this. Everything he's being asked to do, he's doing, and he's doing it well. That's all you can ask. Okay, um, we can't go to the market and get someone else now. And he provides a balance that keeps the team, you know, keeps the team's equilibrium right and keeps the team functioning correctly. Florentino in half a game gets a 6.2. Again, a very good performance from him in limited time. Dromadio, as I said, a little bit lower on the rating in this one. 5.9, that's due to the, the algorithm does that due to the missed penalty. 
Gonzalo Ramos with a goal, a 6.9 rating, and Rafa 5.7. Okay, off the bench, Neresh gets a 5.2, and Gedge gets a 6.1. So um, impactful contributions from the substitutions. And then, uh, of course, Verissimo. Musa gets a goal off the bench, but doesn't play enough to get a rating. And Joan Evsh, the same thing, doesn't play enough to get a rating. Some of the shots, Benfica 18-5, to I think I already said that, on goal. 10 to 2 in favor of Benfica's shots on goal. Actions in the opponent's area. This is a huge disparity. Benfica 46 actions in Bovista's penalty area, while Bovista has four in Benfica's area. Pass efficiency, I've said before, 86 to 71 percent in favor of Benfica. Vertical pass efficiency, 69 percent for Benfica. Uh, 14 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. And again, the 69 percent. Uh, okay, so on goal point, the, the possession is 69 to 31 on fought mob where I read it from earlier. It's 71 to 29 apples. I mean, it's tomatoes and tomatoes. It's, it's much of the same. I mean, you're splitting hairs at that point. Um, looking again at some of the other instances shown here, uh, passes completed top tendencies. It's Otamendi to Shikinu 17 times. Antonio Silva to Gilberto 16 times. And Chiquinho um, out onto the flank to Grimaldo 14 times. Um, Bovisha's top pass tendency was Yeshufa to Malheiro six times. That's the striker passing it back to the right back six times. Um, not much going on for them there. Uh, the goal point MVP is Gilberto, like we said even though he had a poor first half, and it does acknowledge him here in the little write-up, but it says um, in the second half he turned his his luck around. I think that is much more due to the change in the positioning and the where what he was asked to do in the second half versus in the first half. A lot of that has to do with the beat edge, in my opinion, and he ends up with an MVP. Thank you. Thank um, thanks to the inclusion of David Nedge here. A goal and assist, um, three opportunities created, uh, one pass that broke the lines, seven. This is a great, uh, this is not what you'd expect from a man of the match, but seven attempted crosses, only two on target. But uh, again, that goal and assist makes all the difference. Uh, also, some some notoriety for Gonzalo Ramos with his 6.9. Again, another goal gets back on the goal scoring. Uh, streak and puts him and solidifies himself for now atop the league in scoring. Let's uh, look at the league now. Let's look at uh, the results. Actually, let's hear from Roger Schmidt here real quick. I won't need to give my thoughts on it, but here's his thoughts. Um, here's the last question of his post game presser, and um, it speaks for itself. So have a listen. Boa noite, Mr. Joana Pires, a Bola TV. Consiga gol ainda ainda opponent only chance and then uh, fail a penalty, missing a penalty. In the way the the team uh, react, there is um, there is the the true the truly um, Benfica's weapon this season. Yeah, I think uh, like you said. So today was not everything perfect. So the the opponent used one moment to score. We missed the penalty. We missed some big, big chances already in the first half and also at the beginning of the second half. And exactly these matches you have to win. So when it is not everything perfect and uh, it is difficult, 
um, the good matches when every, when we, we score at the beginning and we decide the game during the match, uh, these matches you will win for sure. But the matches like today is um, is a challenge, and um, we showed that we are also ready for these kind of matches. And that is manager Roger Schmidt there. Now, let's go to the other results in the league in round 21. At the time of recording, we've already got a round 22 result. I will uh, read that one as well as I get there. Uh, so let's go back to Friday, February the 17th, start of round 21. Gilles Vicente at home to Vizela. 1-1 the result in that one. Uh, Istoril loses 3-1 at home to, to Passos de Ferreira. Cesar Peixoto beats Nelson Verissimo, and, and that is the end of Nelson Verissimo's reign at Istoril. And I was I was pulling for him. Um, I wanted to see him do well. I always want to see our our people do well when they go elsewhere. Um, I uh, I don't put too much fault. I mean, I haven't followed Istoril that closely, but um, the fact that he got sacked from Istoril, everybody gets sacked, gets sacked from these teams with no resources, with limited um, players, you know. Um, and in Portugal, they're so quick to sack. Um, just look at his, his opponent in this match, Cesar Peixoto. He's already been sacked and rehired by the same club in the same season. Only in Portugal does something like that happen. But I told, I tweeted at Nino, at Nino Torres from Goal TV uh, during this one, uh, because he had he had tweeted out that he was excited about Passos Trujeda's win, and I said that I think Cesar Peixoto is going to keep them up, and I'm going to stand by that. We'll see at the end of the season if my prediction is correct or not. But when they rehired him, I felt he was going to save them. And um, as crazy and as typically Portuguese as that is, what happened there, um, I I do hope that Cesar Peixoto. Uh, keeps them up. He's a young coach, you know. He has he played for Benfica, so that gives me a little more reason to root for him. But again, young manager, um, it, it's good when these young Portuguese managers do well, and they have an actual, you know, style of play. They have an actual identity as a as a team, and I do hope he sees them. And as I said at the beginning, they they draw well compared to the rest of the league. So I would really hate to see them go down next season and um i i think he's gonna do it when the when it all is said and done i think santa clara unfortunately is looking like they're gonna fall into those relegation spots um there's very little there to tell me and to make me confident that they can stay up and that's also you know a shame um i think it's important for the azores to be represented in the first division just like i think it's important for the south to be represented for the even the interior was it was represented for a while with with Tondela, and now they're no longer in the first division. It's it's it needs to be more than just the cities in and around Porto, Benfica, Sporting, and and um, well, that's it. Bisad and Bolognese are not in the first division. I was going to say Bisad, they're gone. Um, but for now, Casapia uh, is there, and Casapia is having a good season. Moving on. Uh, we'll go down south. We'll go to Portimonense. They win two to one in front of their very small crowd over the, the bottom side, Maritimo, and it's not looking good for for the side from Madeira. Again, a side that averages seventy five percent of their uh, stadium filled week in week out. 
Porto win one nothing um, at the Ladrão, and it was properly named because it was a stolen two points um, as a penalty. A clear penalty should have been called on Pep, and only at the Ladrão is that not a penalty. And somehow, once again, the VAR must not have been working that day. Video of Porto at its best. In Ponta Delgada, in the Asurge, it is Santa Clara, like I talked about, in front of their very small crowd. Lose 3-1 to to Famalicão. Braga win 2-0 at the quarry over Oroca. Casa Pia and Vitoria Guimarães battle of 5th and 6th, and it is uh, a 0-0 uh, stalemate, a point to each. And then Monday's matches, of course, Shavsh come up just short, losing 3-2 at home to Sporting. And as you know, Benfica, 3-1 winners over Bovisha, which we just talked about for the last hour or so. Uh, one match in round 22 already complete. That was played today on February the 24th. Family count, 1-0 winners over Porti Mones. Let's look at the table now and see where we stand as Benfica lead the league, continue to lead 56 points from 21 matches, five better than Porto. Braga third with 49 Fourth is Sporting with 41. Fifth, Vitoria Guimarães, 34 points. Two better now than sixth place, Casa Pia. Or not now, but maintaining that two-point lead over Casa Pia. Which right now, Casa Pia's uh, spot will put them in the Europa League so long as so long as Famalicão and Nacional, either Famalicão, no, neither Famalicão nor Nacional win the Portuguese Cup. Um, that sixth place will be a Europa League spot for Casapia. Uh, in seventh place is Aroca with 30. They're not they're not that far from a European spot either. And Fumalico on a string of wins here now with a couple in a row. They're up to eighth with 27. Bovista dropped to, to ninth with 26. Also on 26, Vizela and Vizela Shavj and Portimones all on 26. 13th place is Riwav, 24 points. Gil Vicente, 14th with 23. And then Isturil, uh sitting in 15th now, getting ever so close to that relegation spot. Those relegation spots, excuse me. And that, that is, in the end, that's what you get sacked for in Portugal when you get close to those spots. Um, and that's why Nelson Verissimo was let go, uh, replaced, as I said, by the former uh, Gil Vicente manager, Ricardo Soares, who was, Sacked after just a couple months in Egypt with Al-Akli. An Al-Akli team that went to the final of the World Club Cup uh, just a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's back in the league now. Now he's at Istriel and he's going to fight to keep them alive. Santa Clara right now in 16th place, but getting ever so close to the bottom teams. And I misspoke when I said Maritimu. We're in last place. They're 17th. Okay, so you have Santa Clara with 15 points, Maritimo with 13, and Passos de Ferreira with 12. Passos de Ferreira right now are one win away from potentially being safe, uh, depending on tiebreakers. And, uh, yeah, it's not a good time to be a Santa Clara supporter either, um, as those two that were, you know, quite far below them not that long ago, they were 10 or so points below them, not long ago, now are inching up and anything now possible. And um, the market wasn't kind to to any of these teams. But uh, it's going to be a dogfight, I think, for, in those final three spots to the end. 
Round 22 fixtures still to play Saturday, February the 25th, which is ironically my 40th birthday. Um, I need a Benfica win badly for my birthday. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. I want three points at Vizela. That's what I want. Uh, Oroca hosting Casapia in the early game. Uh, that's a 3.30 Portuguese, uh, kickoff, Portuguese time kickoff. Then a battle of island sides and a relegation six-pointer, really, uh, at at uh, 6 o'clock uh, Portuguese Standard Time, mainland uh, Portuguese Standard Time, that is. Uh, it is Maritimo hosting Santa Clara. Again, if Maritimo wins, wins, Santa Clara is in big trouble. And then the late match with an 8.30 p.m. Portuguese kickoff time, 3.30 p.m. here on the east coast of the United States. 12.30 p.m. Pacific, Vizela hosting Benfica. Sunday, Rio Ave hosts Chaves. Passos Ferreira hosts Bovista. Uh, Porto hosts Gil Vicente. And then on Monday, Sporting hosts Estoril. And Monday night, the last game of the round, ever so late. At least they don't have to travel far. It's the Minu Derby. It better be on TV. Goal TV, put it on. Okay, I want to watch this. It is the Minu Derby. It is Vitoria. It is Braga at the Don Alphonse in Rijks. And um, that rivalry is something that is just underexposed. It should be put at the forefront when those two teams meet. That needs to be a prime match. Understand, Braga and Sporting are both playing in Europe, and there is rules as to who plays first, who plays second, and whatnot based on their positioning. Um, Braga were eliminated, though, this week from the Europa Conference League by Fiorentina. Sporting survive the Europa League, go to to, to Denmark and beat Michelin uh, 4-0 to advance. They drew the short straw, though, in the draw as Sporting will play Arsenal in the round of 16 in the Europa League. And that, that will be round 22 for you. All right. Last thing before we go, um, I'll be back. I'm planning to be back sometime Sunday, Monday at the latest, so I can recap this match with Vizela while it's fresh in my mind and get that women's football update episode out to you as well. Sunday night, February the 26th, I am going to be recording the season premiere of the Parking the Bus podcast. So please, please go over to the Parking the Bus podcast. Subscribe. Uh, it'll be in your podcast players on Monday morning. Going to be a different, I think it's going to evolve into a different type of podcast this season. And the podcast feed is going to be more active because I'm a, I am creating more pre-recorded content. So when I, so that <laughs> the things that are not so time sensitive uh, will be more of a focus this season. So I got some special projects I'm going to be unveiling in the next couple of weeks and months that I'm working on now and I can't wait to get some of that stuff out so I would appreciate anybody to go over and subscribe to Parking the Bus wherever you get your podcasts preferably on Spotify or Apple but um, wherever you get it it's all appreciated um, and of course if you're, you're listening for the first time make sure you hit that subscribe button here on Mr. Benfica all right and uh, share the podcast with anybody you know that likes Benfica and that speaks English all right, this is for everybody. That's it. That is episode 154 of the Mr. Mike Agostino. I'm signing off. Don't forget, um, 
to hit me up on the social medias. Okay, any questions, comments, concerns, something you don't like, something you do like, feel free to drop it to me uh, at Benfica Mister on Twitter or at Mike Agustinho. Either one works. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Uh, and if you can, give the website a, a click. Give it a, a hit here and there, uh, com. I'll see you next time.